Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Thanks, Tracy, and thanks, everybody, for your welcome. It's great to, uh, to be here with you this morning as we celebrate Palm Sunday, as we, uh, as we get ready for uh, what is coming ahead in the Easter season. Uh, but we, uh, we love to welcome people, don't we? You just did it to me, and thank you for that. Uh, but we love to welcome people. It's kind of the right thing to do. It's the, the polite thing to do. And we love to welcome those that we love. Uh, I reckon one of the, uh, the most common or most uh, fascinating places you see this happen is at an airport, uh, and uh, particularly the international airport, when people are welcoming home those loved ones that they haven't seen for a long time. But a quick show of hands, I want to ask who has uh, been here to Brisbane International Airport to welcome somebody that they love home from overseas after a period of time? A fair few of you, right? It's a fairly common uh, experience. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting experience here in, uh, in Brisbane. You've got you to do a whole bunch of mental calculations. You've got to figure out how long it's going to take for the, the plane to empty after wherever it's come in from, and then uh, how long your loved ones are going to take navigating through the duty-free store, uh, how quick the line at immigration is going to be, and always if they've got kids or extra challenges, that, that's always going to take a little longer. Then you, uh, you hope and you pray that the, their bags haven't been lost uh, on the journey, as they wait for their bags, then they go through customs, that big long line, and then finally they walk through the doors into the arrival hall. You can go and give them a, a massive hug and celebrate their homecoming. Now, I'm sure many of us have had that experience, but it's quite a fascinating experience. It's a great people-watching experience. Sometimes you go along, and uh, last time I was there, there were people with flowers ready to, uh, to give to their loved ones. There were people still in their pajamas, Somehow they thought that was socially acceptable to turn up and welcome their family home in pajamas. Uh, and sometimes they've got signs. You know, I heard this story last year of a, a young adult couple. Uh, one was living in Brisbane and one was in Melbourne. And whenever they went to visit one another, the, uh, the one who was welcoming would have a sign designed to embarrass their, uh, their, their partner who had just arrived from out of town. And uh, the story sort of shared that they had a few signs. One of them was, uh, welcome back. I hope your colonoscopy went well. <laughs> Another sign was, uh, welcome back. It's great to have you out of jail. And there were a few other ones that are probably a little bit too inappropriate for me to, uh, to share. But uh, the last time that I was at the arrivals hall, it was, a, it was a special occasion to welcome someone home or some people home. You know, last time uh, we were there, my, uh, my whole family would come together to welcome home uh, my parents-in-law, my, uh, my kids' grandparents from one of their, uh, their trips to Africa. And it was, a, it was a special time for us all because it was the first time in two whole years that we were going to come together, that we would be in the same place at the same time. And so I, along with my wife, uh, Lauren, and our three kids, we went off to the airport and we were joined there by Lauren's sister, Andy, her husband, Joel, and their kids. And, uh, and we waited with eager anticipation for, uh, for Neil and Gwen to, uh, to come through the, uh, the arrival hall. And the kids, the kids were off the chain. You know, it's the first time that all three generations were going to be together in one spot and anticipation was running high. 
there was a big crowd there that day and we'd, we'd managed to figure out the time and the parking and all that kind of stuff. We got there with plenty of time to spare. And so here we were waiting at the uh, arrivals hall and the, the kids kind of got as far to the door as they could get without being hauled off by security. Uh, but Joel, my brother-in-law and I, uh, kept our eyes glued to the screen. And I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but at the arrival hall in the Brisbane International Airport these days, there is a live video uh, feed of who is coming through uh, customs. And uh, they kind of have this screen of, a, of, a, of the, the, the shot where you come through customs, you turn around the corner, and you've got meters or steps to take before you come through the doors. So our eyes were glued to the screen. And as the time went on, the kids were getting more and more hyped and more excited. And then suddenly, on the screen, appear our loved ones. Ma and Pops pushing this massive trolley of, of baggage. You know, they could barely see over it. And, uh, and Joel and I, hey, kids, they're on the screen. They're almost here. And suddenly, we kept our eyes to the screen, and they just came around the corner. And that big tower of baggage on their trolley, it started to wobble. It started to fall and it crashed to the ground. And there they, they suffered the embarrassment of in front of the whole airport arrival hall on a live video screen of picking up all of these bags and piling them back onto the trolley. Fortunately, the bags hadn't spilled open with all of the underpants and all that kind of stuff flying everywhere. But we burst into laughter. It was hilarious. We all, uh, we all started uh, carrying on and then they kind of sheepishly and awkwardly finally came through the doors and we, I don't even think we kind of even hugged them because we were too busy laughing. But it was such a great welcome to, to all be in the same place after a couple of years apart. You know, we love to welcome those that we love. We love to welcome those that we love. We see it here each Sunday. Each Sunday, uh, friends welcome each other with a smile or a handshake or a hug. Maybe you experience it at home. When you come home after a long day, your kids run out to greet you. Or, or, or your wife welcomes you with a big hug and a kiss. We love to welcome those that we love. This morning, we're going to look at the welcome Jesus received as he entered Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago. As Dave the donkey showed us earlier, Jesus was given an incredible welcome. There was a lot of love in that crowd for Jesus. These days, we recognize Palm Sunday as the, the start of the Holy Week leading up to Easter. Yet when Jesus entered Jerusalem that first time, 1,500 odd years ago, 2,000 years ago, I should say, uh, it was actually the beginning of the Passover festival. It was a very significant time of year, but no one other than Jesus really had any idea about how significant it would truly be. If you've been at all uh, here to church at Gateway over this term, uh, you would know that we have spent a fair bit of time uh, journeying through the book of Exodus, exploring how God brought salvation to his people, freeing them from slavery in Egypt and, and taking them on a journey towards the promised land. And one of the most significant events of that whole story was the Passover. The night when, uh, when God brought calamity on the nation of Egypt and, uh, and the angel of death swept through and, and took, killed every firstborn of the Egyptian families. 
But because they had followed God's directions and his commandments, the Israelites were saved, were protected from God's wrath. That night, Pharaoh finally decided to let his people go, to let the Egyptians go. And they, uh, sorry, to let the Israelites go. What am I on about? And they were protected because they had painted over their doorposts the, uh, the blood of a sacrificed animal. And so they fled. And every year since, the Passover was a national celebration. God's people celebrated the Passover annually, remembering what God had done in bringing them out of slavery and into freedom. And over the, the following uh, 1,500 years, from that point through to Jesus' time, the nation of Israel had an incredible history. The nation of Israel rose and then it fell. It was split, it was scattered, and it was brought back again. There were seasons of devotion to God and seasons of rebellion from God. And over the years, Jerusalem, the, the spiritual capital of God's people and the home of the temple that was so central to their faith. This temple or this city had been besieged, attacked, destroyed and rebuilt. And now it was under Roman authority. The Roman Empire had brought down the, the Greek Empire, which had brought down the Persian Empire before them, which had brought down the Babylonian Empire before them. But through it all, God's people continued to celebrate the Passover every year, remembering God's saving act, what he had done for them in Egypt. And it was a major festival. The Passover festival was one of the busiest weeks in the Jewish calendar, especially for the city of Jerusalem. See, in Jesus' time, every Jewish male who lived within a 20-mile radius of the city was obliged to return to the capital for the week-long festival. And many others poured into the city to celebrate Passover as well. Particularly since the, uh, the king, King Herod, had completely overhauled and rebuilt and refurbished the temple to be a magnificent structure on the Temple Mount. Historians suggest that Jerusalem's population actually tripled when the Passover festival came to town. But it was still a turbulent time with the Jews from across the known world returning to their spiritual home, the, the atmosphere had a, a nationalistic fervor to it. And while the occupying Roman authorities permitted the Jews to come and worship God, they would have been very quick to crack down on and stamp out anything that, was, that they perceived was a threat to their rule and to their emperor. And of course, the, the Jewish religious rulers had a vested interest in keeping their Roman authorities happy so that they could keep their positions of prestige and power. And so it was into this societal and political and religious hotbed that Jesus entered. After three years of incredible ministry, a growing following, and, and a self-assurance of the purpose and the next steps that God had for him, he prepared to join the other Jewish pilgrims in Jerusalem for the Passover. And we're going to read this morning John's account of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I encourage you to pull them out and turn to, to John chapter 12. And this, uh, this episode is so important to the, uh, the gospel story that each of the four gospels uh, 
have the, uh, the Palm Sunday triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But we're going to read it from John this morning, chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. <clears throat> the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. Just to imagine this scene with me for a moment. This, this welcome is better than any welcome that any of us would have received at any airport. In this scene as Jesus returns to the spiritual home of the Jewish people. Just imagine it for a moment. Now, thousands upon thousands of people are, are walking towards the city of Jerusalem. They're looking up to the mountain, or the, the, the city that's on the mountain and the imposing temple that's part of that. And there is a great excitement amongst all of those who are on that journey. Have you heard about that guy from Nazareth? I heard he raised someone from the dead. Do you think, do you think he's gonna be here? The crowds are, are buzzing and, and as they're walking in, suddenly the news uh, ripples across that Jesus is on his way. He's just down the road. He's coming in on a donkey. And people grab branches from palm trees and start waving them in the air and putting them on the ground along with their, their outer cloaks for the donkey to walk past. And as Jesus uh, walks past them or the donkey walks past them, they start shouting out, Hosanna. They start declaring Jesus is the king. You know, they declare him as the king of Israel as he enters the city. What, what a welcome. What a welcome. This morning, we're gonna spend some time reflecting on Jesus' entrance to Jerusalem that day, and we're gonna look at three key reasons why Jesus received such an incredible welcome. And we might just find that, that these three reasons are just as relevant for us today as we welcome Jesus into our lives. So firstly, the, uh, the Jews welcomed Jesus because he came to save the Jews in their history had a strong belief that at some point, God would raise up someone to establish the kingdom of God. Someone who would restore the nation of Israel to its true glory and someone who would save them. The Jews called this hoped for savior the Messiah. Throughout the Old Testament, there are many prophecies about this Messiah, who he would be and, and what he would do. Now, Isaiah and, and many of the other prophets made a number of statements or declarations about this Messiah. They declared that the Messiah would include and draw together people from all nations, bringing evil and tyranny to an end. The prophecy said that the Messiah would be a descendant of King David, yet also born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem. 
And it was also prophesied that the Messiah would bring an end to hunger, an end to illness and even death, and would restore and rebuild the nation of Israel, and that the whole world would look to him for guidance. And in the first century AD, the the Jews were starting to get desperate for this Messiah to come and save them. Judea, Samaria, and, and the surrounds were ethnically and religiously diverse, and political intrigue and violence was the norm. Many Jews longed for a return to the, the, the glorious days of, uh, of King David when Israel was the greatest power in the region. The Jews were struggling under Roman domination, oppressive taxes, and the rule of the Roman authorities. And at this point in history, they'd interpreted these prophecies about the Messiah to mean that the Messiah would also free them from Roman rule. Spiritually, the Jews hadn't heard the prophetic voice of God for over 400 years. And so for generations, the Jews had been desperately waiting, fervently praying, and expectantly hoping for this Messiah, this Jewish king who would come and save and rule the people. And so there was great hope and good reason to believe that Jesus was this saving Messiah. For the past three years, Jesus had traveled around the region declaring the kingdom of God, performing incredible miracles and drawing people to himself. He'd healed multitudes of people along the way, saving them from their sickness. And he'd also saved them spiritually as well by declaring forgiveness for their sins. Many people confessed their belief that Jesus was the Messiah. The Bible records that John the Baptist, Lazarus' sister Mary, Peter and the disciples, and a number of others all professed that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And word had spread about Jesus. Could he really be the one? Was he the answer to the hopes and the prayers of all the people? Was he the one about whom the prophecies were written? And the crowd certainly thought so. John records them shouting these words as they welcome Jesus. They say, Hosanna, which is a Hebrew word for save or help. Hosanna, save us, help us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. They had bestowed on Jesus this name, King. He was the one who was going to be saved, to save them. He was this Messiah that they'd been waiting for. Jesus was welcomed as the one who saves. And although the rest of the week didn't quite turn out the way that the crowd had expected to, today we recognize that Jesus is and was and is that promised Messiah. Jesus today is still the one who saves us from sin. He's still the one who saves us from death. He's the one who restores us to relationship with our creator God. Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem because he was the one who came to save and he is still saving us today. Jesus saves. Will you welcome him? Secondly, Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem because he came in peace. And we know that Jesus came in peace because of his choice of transport, a donkey. 
John says that Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. And then he rode into Jerusalem on this donkey. Well, hundreds of thousands of pilgrims made their way on foot. Jesus chose a donkey. And not a horse, not even a camel, a donkey. For the last uh, few years, Lauren and I have been uh, working at a ranch for at-risk kids. Kids who have come out of some pretty challenging situations and, uh, and, and need a place to feel loved, to be safe, and to learn to become productive members of society. And uh, this uh, ranch had um, stables and farms, it had a whole bunch of animals, a bunch of chickens, a bunch of goats, a pig even, but also a number of horses and one solo donkey. Anyway, uh, these, the kids that would come to the ranch came out of some really tough situations. They came uh, maybe straight off the streets or from the equivalent of Centrelink or even straight out of juvenile detention and turned up at this kind of farm-like place. And the first, uh, the, one of the very first experiences that they had was a tour of the property. It was quite a significant property and they toured around and as they kind of got to the, the stables and the farms, their eyes started to light up. You know, they, they saw the chickens and thought, oh, the chickens, do we, get to, do we get to collect the eggs and eat the eggs of the chickens? And they'd walk past the goats, seeing the goats being, doing some stupid things, you know, as goats do, and they'd kind of laugh at the goats, and oh, those goats are hilarious. And then they'd walk past the stables and see these majestic horses, and their jaws would drop, and they'd go, oh, look at those horses. Can we ride those horses? Can we get on those horses? And they'd continue the tour and they'd go past the donkey. Oh, it's a donkey. And they'd keep going. But it always came back to the horses. They always run out of ride the horses. And I can tell you that over three and a half years, not one boy or girl ever asked to ride the donkey. It didn't help that the donkey had this really mean glare. Whenever you looked at it, he'd just go. But donkeys are, they're not great animals. They're not imposing animals. They're not significant animals. And they weren't in Jesus' day either. If one wanted to show power and might and strength, then a leader would ride into battle or ride back into a city on a horse. Historians believe that the Roman governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, also came in to the city of Jerusalem around the start of the Passover festival. He would come in from his beachside home because it was important for him, the governor of the region, to be seen and to be involved in this national festival that the Jews held. And so Pilate would ride into town in a very different way to Jesus. He would ride into town, into the city on a Roman war horse, ready to remind everybody just who was in power. Pilate would parade into Jerusalem on his giant steed, accompanied by legions of chariots and horses and soldiers, each of them dressed for battle and armed with swords and spears. Might have looked a little bit like this. Now this was, uh, this was imposing. This was impressive. It was imperial. The authority of Rome was not to be questioned. Pilate was the man in charge and this parade was designed to inspire awe and fear and respect and obedience amongst the people. Woe to anybody who challenged the might of the Roman Empire. Just compare that for a minute to the image of Jesus riding into town on this slow, plodding, probably disobedient donkey. It's hardly a show of strength 
or of power or of might. In fact, it's a show of humility, of peace. In the ancient Middle Eastern world, leaders galloped on horses as they rode off to battle. But sometimes, they would come back to the city on a donkey to signify that peace had come. And so Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem on this lowly donkey to signify that he was bringing peace. And his peaceful entry into Jerusalem was actually another prophecy that was foretold of by the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah was one of these prophets who who made certain prophecies about this Messiah figure. He prophesied that Messiah would come to rescue God's people. And he said that that would happen in a, a somewhat unexpected way. Zechariah prophesied these words, uh, speaking as God. He said, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly or, or humbly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, which is another name for Israel, and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. And Jesus fulfilled this prophecy of arriving in Jerusalem humbly, peacefully, on the back of a donkey. He came to Jerusalem in peace. And the crowd did not yet know how the rest of the week would turn out. But right then and there, they welcomed Jesus as he came in peace. And today, Jesus still comes to us in peace. He doesn't come to condemn. He doesn't come to instill fear into you. He's not going to even force himself into your life. He gently knocks at your door. He wants to offer you his peace, to fill you with his grace, and to bless you with his presence. Will you welcome him in? And lastly, in this triumphal entry to Jerusalem, we see that Jesus is welcomed because he came with victory. Everyone loves a winner. This hasn't changed in 2,000 years. We love to get behind winners. The footy season's hardly even a month old, and suddenly the conversations have turned from, oh, how about those Broncos, to, gee, what about those Lions? Up until yesterday, at least. And I know I'm certainly not a big horse racing fan, but it seemed like the whole nation stopped yesterday as, uh, as Winks uh, yet again won another race and finished her victorious career of five years without losing a horse race. Uh, us Aussies love to get behind a winner. And the first century Jew- Jews did as well. See, Jesus had performed some pretty amazing miracles, including the incredible resurrection of Lazarus, probably just a few short weeks before the Passover festival. And word had spread that Jesus had done some amazing things. And so the people welcomed him into Jerusalem victoriously. John tells us that the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, they continued to spread the word. Many people because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. And verse 13 tells us that they took palm branches as they went out to meet him. And it's not every day that somebody comes into town and the story that precedes them is that they rose someone from the dead. 
That's a pretty incredible victory. And so the, uh, the Jews kind of welcomed Jesus in as this victorious king. And they, they, they used palm branches to indicate and to declare this victory. In the other gospels, they even lay the palm branches on the, the ground and, and allow Jesus' donkey to walk over the palm branches. And in this act, the people were declaring Jesus' victory because palms were synonymous with victory in that culture. Palm fronds were awarded to the victor in athletic contests. Palm fronds were, were used by uh, Roman lawyers to decorate their doors if they had won a case in the Roman Forum. And there's even uh, a set of Roman coinage that replaced the military trophy with a, a palm tree. So by bringing these palm fronds and adorning the street with palm branches, the crowd of people were declaring Jesus victorious as he entered Jerusalem. Jesus came with victory. And Jesus was welcomed with victory, but by the end of the week, the crowd's attitude would change. Stirred up by the religious rulers and betrayed by one of his closest friends, the scene changed completely. The, the crowd would go from cheering and praising Jesus' name to jeering and calling for his blood. As the, uh, the, the Jewish, uh, the religious leaders of the city influenced them, the crowd and its support deserted Jesus. As he was arrested, even his closest followers abandoned him. And as he hung on the cross, no doubt people thought that all was finished, all was lost. The religious leaders thought that they had won. The Roman authorities were happy that another threat to their uh, existence or the threat to their rule was quashed. Even the devil probably thought that he had, had won the victory. But God wasn't finished yet. The amazing story of Easter is that they may have stopped Jesus, but only temporarily. They may have crucified Jesus, but death was not the end. He saved his greatest miracle for Resurrection Sunday. He conquered sin and he conquered death and he victoriously rose from the grave. On Palm Sunday, Jesus was welcomed with victory. But on Resurrection Sunday, he won the ultimate victory and he will be forever victorious. Now, the book of Revelation gives us a, a picture of the end times that was given to John. And Jesus makes another triumphal entry here in, uh, in Revelation 19. John is recording what he's seeing. He says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. It was Jesus on the horse. With justice he judges and wages war. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See, at the end of time, Jesus returns in victory. No longer on a donkey, but now on a white horse with the whole army of heaven behind him. 
his kingdom will be fully established. He will rule and judge all nations and those who have put their trust in him as their, as his, as their Lord and Savior will live with him and worship him into eternity. Jesus was, he is, and he forever will be victorious. Will you welcome him in? Will you welcome him in? Will you welcome Jesus? Will you welcome this saving Messiah, this Prince of Peace, this victorious King of Kings? As we begin the holy, this holy week that leads us to Easter, will you welcome him in to your life? I know for many of you here this morning, you've already made that decision to welcome Jesus into your life. And for those of you who are already following Jesus, I wanna challenge you this morning as we head into Easter. How can you welcome Jesus into your week this week? How can you welcome him into the regular comings and goings that he leads you through as we get prepared to celebrate his incredible resurrection, his incredible victory? I wanna encourage you this week, if you have already welcomed Jesus into your life, to, uh, to this week, take the Bible. Pick one of the Gospels. The Easter story is a significant part of each of the four Gospels. And take a moment each day to read a chapter or two of the incredible story of Easter. I encourage you to start with, uh, with Palm Sunday, even this afternoon or maybe tomorrow morning. But just carve some time out this week to welcome Jesus into your everyday. The story of Easter is an incredible story. There are, there are probably parts you'll read this week that you f- forgot about or didn't even realize. It's just once again, God makes uh, real His words and His story. I pray that this week, God would show you something new, that you would grow a deeper faith and a, a stronger understanding of who Jesus is as you reflect on his words and you welcome him into your world. And there might be, I know there's a number of you here this morning who have not yet welcomed Jesus into your life. You haven't yet put your trust in him as your Lord and Savior. And this morning, I wanna give you the opportunity to make that decision. I wanna give you a chance today to welcome Jesus into your life for the first time. Perhaps you're here this morning and you know that you need to be saved. You've become enslaved to sin. You can't escape that addiction. You can't get rid of that shame. You just can't seem to move on. Jesus wants to save you this morning. Or maybe you're in desperate need of peace. Life is full of turmoil and there doesn't seem to be anything or anywhere that's firm or, or solid to stand on this morning. Jesus wants to give you his peace this morning. Or perhaps you are just worn down and and kind of beaten up. You're at a point of desperation and, and everything seems bleak. Well, Jesus invites you to share in his victory. He wants to walk alongside you and help you through whatever you are facing. In a moment, we're gonna stand and, and worship God and I'm gonna give you the opportunity if, uh, if you wanna make that decision to welcome Jesus into your life for the first time, to acknowledge and turn from your sin, to trust that He died 
for those very same sins and rose from the grave to save you, to give you peace and to give you a victory. I'm gonna invite you to come down the front and, and come and stand with Tracy. Tracy was the one who led us through the dedications earlier. And she's just gonna pray a, a, a short, simple prayer with you to help you make that decision to trust in Jesus, to welcome Him into your life this morning. But before we do that, why don't we all jump on our feet because we're gonna worship like the, uh, the crowds that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem that first Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago. We're gonna worship our God. As we do that, I'm just gonna lead us in a prayer and then we're gonna sing. Would you join with me? Father God, we thank You. We thank You so much for what Easter means. We thank You so much that You, uh, you sent Your Son, Jesus, to, uh, to live on this earth, to die on the cross in our place, to take on the penalty of our sins and You rose Him again from the grave. Father, thank You that we can trust in Your Son, Jesus. And as we do that, as we make Him Lord and Saviour of our life, we are guaranteed of an eternal relationship with You. Lord, we thank You that Jesus saves us, that Jesus gives us peace, that Jesus gives us His victory. And God, this morning, I pray as we head into Easter that You would help us to welcome You in. Would You speak to us this week through Your Word, through Your Spirit, would you show us more and more of who you are, Jesus? In my name we pray. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or would like us to pray for you, please go to gatewaybaptist.com.au and let us know.